You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Jason Staples and Greg Barnes, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyTShirt.com. We are recording this at our usual time, Thursday night, the Game Plan podcast. With that, Duke and North Carolina play Saturday at noon. Greg Barnes it's in Durham. Don't know if it matters much. I believe Durham has no fans. Um, rivalry game, though. Carolina has struggled with Duke in the past, but not under Mac Brown. How's this game going to go, Greg? Well, you know what? I'm actually going to challenge you on that, Tommy. Um, I was actually looking at that earlier. We, we know what happened last year, right? We, we know uh, basically Duke choked that game away. And I guess you could, if you want to make the argument Carolina did first, yeah, you know, I'll give that to you. Uh, but just the way Duke finished that game off, all you got to do is hand off and you win the game. And you have whatever kind of silly play that was that Cutcliffe called, outthought himself. and uh, Got cute Chad, at the goal line. He got cute at the goal line, that's right. And Chad Stratt makes a great play and, and secures the victory. Um, but look, a lot of these games, as you say, have been competitive. Um, and it's part of the rivalry aspect of it. Fans really like to talk about the NC State game for good reason. Um, but this, for whatever, for whatever reason, this, this, this game has always largely been competitive. I mean, if we go back to 2018, it was 42-35. You know, uh, we had a 28-27. Now, when Carolina was, was really good in 2015, that was a blowout, right? Um, but even if you go back to when Mac was here the first time, um, let's see here, 92, Carolina won 31-28. 94, 41-40, 95, 28-24. And even in 96, which was you know, arguably Mac's best year, although I guess you could, you know, 97's in the mix too, it was only 27 to 10. So it wasn't like a bloodbath. Now, of course, 97, uh, it was pretty sloppy. Carolina won that one 50 to 14. But more often than not, this has been a competitive game. And I, that plays a role in the spread of this game only being 11 um, because Duke's going to grind. And Duke has a good defense this year. We'll get into it. Um, but so this is not a game Carolina can take lightly. Is this a game North Carolina should win? Absolutely. Um, uh, but they can't sleepwalk. They, they can't allow themselves to stumble like they've done in some of these games and dig a huge hole that will make it very, very difficult. So competitive game. Uh, but I think North Carolina has enough horses that if they take care of business and do what they're supposed to do, they should win handily. We'll get into predictions later. But I don't think I'm surprising anybody by making those kind of comments to, to open the show. Yeah. Horses and, and dancing bears. Dancing bears, yes. Jason, if you want to know where the dancing bear uh, comes from, Jason's video on Joshua Azudu has been quite popular at InsideCarolina.com on the message boards. Jason, why is this game, Carolina and Duke, always, like Greg said, close? I mean, Mac won all of them his first uh, go-round, and he's won – the ones here, I think he's uh, nine and two against Duke. The only time he lost to Duke maybe were those two one and ten seasons. Forty one zip. Remember that one, don't you, Tommy? Oh yeah, Chucky, Chucky Burnett and uh, Todd Spurrier. Burnett and Spurrier's photo under the school board. Yeah. 
too soon, Greg. It's only been like 40 years. <laughs> Jason, when you look at it, it's always close and it's always crazy. I still can't believe, and we talked about this as a family the other day because I, I thought my children were there, but they weren't. I still can't believe Carolina won the game last year. That, if there's ever been a moment in a football game where I just like could not believe what happened, it was last year with Chaz Surratt's <laughs> interception. Um, why is this game close? You know, that's a good question, and I don't know – I don't have a, a solid, easy answer for it. I mean, one is obviously it's a rivalry game, and, you know, the old, the old saw about throw out the record books in a rivalry game isn't completely wrong. So you do, have, you do have that aspect of it that, you know, these two teams do recruit a lot of the same – from the same talent pool traditionally. Uh, and, you know, there, there, there are the throw the record book type uh, – things that you're going to see from Duke in this game. They're going to, they're going to pull out the stops to try to win this game. Uh, but I think probably if I had to guess, it's mostly styles make fights. And just in terms of the style of play that Duke has played over the years, that's been the biggest, the biggest factor. And, you know, going back, I don't really remember a whole lot about, about Duke back in, back in the, in the uh, mid nineties, partly because they just weren't very good. Uh, so I, I can't I can't really speak to what the what the matchups were there back with uh, with Mac in those days. But I, I mean, during the Fedora days, when when those games were close or Duke was winning those games, the biggest difference was physicality. And that especially once Cutcliffe took over, Duke came in and pushed Carolina around at times on the defense, and they uh, they they took it to them physically with a bit of a chip on their shoulder and Carolina didn't always respond all that well in the Fedora era to teams that, that really got physical with them. So I think that probably was a factor. I think with Mac in town, that's um, going to become increasingly less of a factor as, as they really push for this team to get more physical. But that is something that I think is probably a factor is over the last few years, when you're looking at this game that Duke has overperformed, partly because they've been better on the line of scrimmage than their record might indicate. I mean, Duke's usual weaknesses are in the back seven and the skill positions. They've generally recruited better talent, especially on the offensive line, but they've usually got serviceable players on the defensive line. And this year's no different. They've actually got a pretty good defensive line. So when you, when you add those things together, they're usually competitive enough up front. They're physical. They have generally avoided turning the ball over a bunch to Carolina. And so you end up getting some interesting games. Greg, talking about the physicality, I guess that, you know, I don't want to talk about Larry Fedora era, but I guess that kind of sums up the Larry Fedora era that Duke was more physical than North Carolina. I think Mike Brown's got that changed around, but, you know, that it's not completely changed because they did get out hit in the two games that they lost this year. Sure. I mean, you could see the beginning, especially that first half against Florida State, they got out physical in that game. Right. But what I I think the coaching staff would absolutely say that they got out hit and out physical in both of their losses and that that was a big factor and that's something they're trying to get fixed so so greg how much of that is a mindset for north carolina versus a whatever talent issue whatever you want to call it i think it's it's equal parts both um for whatever reason that was always an issue for for larry uh, for most of the time is not winning up front i think you know, last week the virginia game i really think the reason virginia won that game is because they won the trenches uh, they weren't. They did not have the best players at skill position positions, um, but because they were they were manhandling UNC at times in the trenches, it was just enough to be able to to pull that upset. 
And that's what Duke's going to try to do. They're going to try to be physical. Um, and so I think Carolina's got some good players up front, especially offensive line. So it is a talent issue. You've got to get better talent in there, and that helps with the toughness aspect. But there's still a mental component as well. And I, I think defensive line-wise, I think there's just some, some issues with talent. Um, you know, I, yeah. Knowing Raymond Vahasic and what coaches have said about him, I, I don't think it's a mentality issue for him. I, mean, I think he's doing – I think everything he's doing, um, he's doing everything he can. But when you're talking about some of the other guys that they're having to rely on and not even using who have talent, but they're just not experienced yet, I think that's part of the issue on that side of the ball. So um, I, I do think for, for Duke in this game, it's going to be to really smack UNC around in the trenches, kind of like what Virginia did. And again, they don't have the skill uh, in some of those other positions that Carolina does. Um, and that's really what's going to come down to is can North Carolina take advantage of their talent? And if they do, you know, this should work in their favor. But if Duke has a chance, it's by, by being more physical than UNC in the trenches. Yeah, it's one of those situations where Duke wants this to be a street fight. They want it yep. to be a brawl. Sure. And Carolina wants this to be a boxing match. I mean, right. that, that, that's really the styles make fights aspect of this. Carolina wants to, wants to box. And Duke wants to get inside and just slug away at each other and see who stands. And try to get to the 12th round instead That's of – That's right. And try to avoid the knockout. Yeah, and, and Carolina wants to, wants to stay outside, jab a few times, and then score a quick knockout early and see if they can, if they can do that. That's just the way the teams are, are built right now. And, by the way, there's one other thing that's worth noting. There's a, there's a third aspect to this, not just mindset and not just personnel. There's also a scheme component to – physicality and it's not exactly what you might think it is but I've talked to coaches in the past and some successful coaches I mean national championship coaches who have said that one of the most difficult things about running all spread so if you're going to just go say up tempo spread and you're going to be mostly a let's say an inside zone RPO team so you're going to you're going to box count with you know Larry Fedora's offense is, is this right I'm going to run inside zone, but you're counting the box. And if they've got an extra guy in the box, you're going to, you're going to throw the ball in the perimeter. And for the most part, Carolina does that now. I mean, a lot of what Phil Longo does is very similar to a lot of what uh, Fedora did. We've talked about this for a couple of years. And that, you know, that's your, your thing. You're not going to bash your head against the wall. You know, that was something Fedora used to say a lot of is I'm not just going to, you know, bash my head against the wall when I can just go through the door over there. <laughs> right. What's the point? Well, there's a lot of truth to that in terms of the way that you, that you want to coach football and make it, you know, you're going to score a lot more points that way. But I've talked to some really successful head coaches who've said, that's good and you can, be a, you, can be, you can ultimately be a lot better on offense for that, but your defense suffers for that because it, it affects the way you practice. And I, I go back to my time at Florida State as a player, we actually would wrap practices. We would wrap every scrimmage with an extended goal line period. And it was a war. I mean, it was, you're going to line up on the three yard line, the two yard line and the offense it's good on good ones against ones, twos against twos, threes against threes. And you get four downs to score and every score goes down as a win or a loss. And the, and the offensive side or the defensive side, if the offense wins, then the defense runs gassers after practice. If the defense wins, the offense runs gassers. 
I can tell you right now, those were intense parts of practice. Everybody who is not in the game would get on either side, defense in the back, you know, behind the end zone, offense behind the offense, and jumping up and down. And, you know, it became a passionate competition to get in the end zone or to keep you out of the end zone. And the biggest hits of practice were always there. And the level of physicality and the level of, uh, of the chip on the shoulder kind of mentality, I really believed, and the coaches then believed that that was a big part of the mentality that Florida State took into games in those, those years. That it was from those goal line periods where it became defense, you know what we're going to run. Offense, you know they know what we're going to run. And we're going to run it, and we're either going to score or not. And it's just because either you're going to be more physical or we're going to be more physical. <laughs> and that element of things, I mean, that's the extreme of it. Very few teams do that anymore. But the, that's the extreme of it. And there are certain coaches now who still retain certain under center or certain power football concepts that they're going to make sure that they don't RPO everything in practice. They're going to make sure that they include enough power stuff in there so that when they play a team that isn't doing, isn't playing by everybody else's rules, when you play a Stanford or when you play a Duke or somebody that has decided they're going to go ahead and just play power football, that you're not going to get out. You're not going to get uh, beat up and that you have to find ways to, to still keep it football in the physicality sense and it's hard to do that if everything is always finesse football, which is, you know, we're going to box count it. We're going to go where they aren't. You can be successful on offense with that, but you still have to serve your defense. And to serve your defense, sometimes that means you've got to start – you've got to get into some street fight situations on, uh, on, in practice, uh, particularly in the spring and, and in camp, just to build that edge on your team. And, and that's something Mac, I think, really understands. And they've tried to go out of their way to do some of this. Sure. And Tommy, we talked about this during the beginning of the Fedora era when we were kind of learning about his approach of taking what the defense gave him. And I was fascinated by it. And so, of course, I go to Roy Williams and kind of picking his brain because Roy Williams is not that way. And Roy, Roy Williams, Williams is do what we want to do. That's Roy exactly Williams right. Is, we're going to play Carolina basketball. Period. That's, that's Roy's response was, look, I don't care what they want me to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to be successful <laughs> at it. Now, when we talk about Roy in North Carolina basketball, that's like talking about Clemson football or Alabama football. You got the players. You got the players. And Mac, uh, and, and he'll tell you this, you know, once, the, once the recruits come in, it's going to be a couple years, but he'll be able to do that. And I think the clear sign of that is last week when he's, he was talking to us about using analytics and, and metrics and those kind of things. He said, look, fourth and one, you've got Javante Williams. You better go for it every time and you better get it every time. And just, just that one little comment tells you that he thinks when you've got talented players, you should be able to impose your will. That doesn't mean, to Jason's point, that you're hard-headed about it. If teams stack the box, you take advantage of where you can. But when times get tough and you've got to pick up a first down, you better have the personnel and the mindset that, hey, we're getting this first down. It was like Virginia last week. Um, Virginia had to get a first down or else that game was over. They were not stopping North Carolina and Sam Howell. It was not going to happen. And they knew it. And they knew it. Everybody knew it. <laughs> everybody in that stadium, everybody who was watching that game knew it. So not to get into the fourth down call, right, defensively. But 
Virginia knew they had to have it and they did what they needed to do to get it. And so it's that kind of mindset that you have to adopt. And I think what we'll see this weekend, uh, Duke has to play physical because that's really their only shot. North Carolina needs to be able to play physical to match that, but because they have such skill, uh, they can take shots when, when it's available to them. And that's, that's the difference in these two teams. Yeah. And you have, and, and, and you said a mouthful when you said impose your will. And that, I mean, so much of football boils down to that phrase, which team can impose its will on the other team. And the, the really good teams, the championship teams, they're good enough on the line of scrimmage to do that to teams that they can impose their will when they want to, they can impose their will. And you have to train that into your team. You have to get the players to do it. And then you have to build the mentality of imposing your will on the other team, of breaking the other team's will. And Carolina's never quite gotten there. Even under Mac the first time, under, under Butch, they, they've always been just a step short of being able to do that. Now, it's going to be interesting. I think they're, they're potentially recruiting to the level where they may be able to do that this time under Mac before, before he's done. And that's, that's going to be the interesting thing. And he's one of those national championship coaches that I've talked to that gets it in terms of that. You have to be able to impose your will. Yeah, I've, I've kind of mentioned that, and that's what I thought they maybe tried to do in the first half of the Florida State game is impose their will on Florida State. And yeah, it I didn't, agree. And it didn't work out. Uh, Greg, one thing about these ball games, and it's interesting, um, you know, remember Shaquille Rashad and – Countless other, I still remember Kent One Balmer. I've referenced him in the locker room after Carolina Duke, whatever year that was. Uh, the chippiness of this aspect. This game seems to be more chippy than even the NC State North Carolina rivalry. How, and Carolina may have lost the Virginia game because of that, uh, because of not dealing with that well. Do you think that's been an emphasis this week for Mac and staff? Yeah, I don't think there's any question, especially with some of the penalties that we saw at Virginia. Um, I mean, you have to play with passion, you have to play with emotion, but you have to be able to control it. And there's no room whatsoever, especially in games that should be close, for you to have after the whistle penalties like Chapman and, and uh, Trey Morrison had. You've got to control your emotion. 15 yards is a lot, especially when you're talking about an offense like Virginia or an offense like Duke that struggles for every single yard that they get. And 15 yards is a big chunk. I mean, that's, that's more <laughs> – that's an explosive play. Um, and so, that's a great way to put it. And so you, you really do you, – and that, that's something they've talked about. Penalties have been an issue uh, for this team. And it dates back to last year. And, uh, and I think one of the interesting things was when I talked to Mac about the penalty situation earlier this year, he talked about when they came in last year, um, that they really didn't think they could be too harsh with the guys because it was a new, new system, new coaching staff. They were trying to get to know the players. Um, and so they had to be, I don't want to say softer, but maybe a little bit nicer in trying to build that trust. And so they haven't gotten to a point, you know, Fedora always did the, uh, the Tor Hill circle, right? Or on corrections day on Sunday, everybody would get in a big circle. They'd call out a player's name. He'd come into the middle and say, hey, I was responsible for – four mess-ups, penalties, miscues, MAs, whatever, and everybody had to do up-downs. Um, Mac's not there yet. Uh, I think he will, but that's kind of part of the building process. You have to teach these guys that is not acceptable. Um, we have somebody to replace you, which is not necessarily, necessarily the case right now, uh, and then you kind of build that culture. And I think a year and a half in, it's not there yet, uh, but that certainly plays a role in these games. Jason, from a – I want to stay here just for a minute because I'm interested in how you coach that out 
of people. Greg sort of talked about the process that Mac's using in trying to get there, but I mean, Florida State was notorious for talking the talk and walking the walk. Um, for years, they were good enough to sort of overcome their lack of discipline, for lack of a better way to put it. Miami, the same way. Uh, how do you, aside from recruiting studs and being able to overcome it, how do you coach it out of people? Because the penalties have been an issue under Mac, under Fedora. I mean, it's not a new thing. You know, how do, how do you get rid of it? How do you get a, to be a disciplined team? Like when you see some of these teams that are lead the nation in lack of penalties, how does that happen? Well, you don't, first of all, you don't want to be one of those teams that leads the nation in lack of penalties because that means you're not straddling the line enough to be, to be the aggressive team you want to be. Right. As a general rule, I mean, there are a couple exceptions to that. And you, you might look at Iowa State as maybe an exception to that where, where, where they, because of the way that they, they play. But as a general rule, you want a team that, you know, there's the old SEC saying that if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. And there's some, something to that in terms of penalties, where if you're not drawing certain penalties, then you're not playing on the edge enough. You, you, need, you need to be able to, to be willing to draw some penalty. It's like try to play basketball without ever picking up a personal foul. That means you're not playing any defense, right? You, you're going to have to pick up a personal foul, but you can't pick up six fouls and a half. NBA, five fouls and a half, right? You can't do that. So you have to find that balance of playing physical within the, within the boundaries. And actually, you know, going back to my era at Florida State, yeah, they had great players, but those were not undisciplined teams. They, they played on the edge. And, you, you know, you go back and you look, and, yeah, they let more stuff go. I mean, you know, the high uh, – I, I had my share of concussions partly because, you know, the, the hit high helmet-to-helmet kind of stuff was encouraged in those days. <laughs> you know, that was – everybody encouraged that stuff. So, you know, I, I, I still get a little buzzy at times just because of that. But, um, but you know, there, there would be – the kind of penalties that those teams got were not taunting penalties – they weren't, uh, they weren't unsportsmanlike penalties generally. The kinds of penalties that those Florida State teams drew were maybe a late hit penalty where a guy was playing just on the edge and, you know, quarterback is going down and he's taking one extra shot. And they're willing to take that on the, on the chance of, you know, that's, gonna, that's, gonna, that's one more body blow for that team. That was, that was not so much a lack of discipline as those teams played on the edge and sometimes they'd get called for it, and rightfully so. And they were willing to play that game. You want to be there. You want to be where every, you know, if just like in basketball, if you're going to get called for a foul, make it count. Right. Exactly. <laughs> no and once, right? Get called for a foul. You better make that thing dang count. And what you can't get is technical fouls. You can't get dead ball penalties where somebody pushes you and then you take a swing. And th- like, that's just stupid. And so, what you have the to Morrison do is you have penalty. to. The Morrison penalty, that's the one that, that's going eat to at, eat at me the rest of the season. I'm still so hot under the collar for that just as a, as a, as a from the coaching side. Like, man, you know, you did, you're having trouble stopping this team. You get a stop. You get it right before half. Everything's good. You got momentum. What? Oh, you've got to be, you've got to be kidding me, right? So, you know, that's the thing that drives you crazy. And what we did, and I believe in it, back in, in, the, in the Florida State days, is if you got a penalty, if you got a stupid penalty, the whole team ran. Stadiums. 
So if you got a 15-yard penalty, the whole team ran 15 stadiums and they had to do it under time. Peer pressure is a wonderful thing. Oh, peer pressure works <laughs> wonders on a football team. And that's worse than up-downs, I can promise you. You, you go into, into Tuesday's practice dead legs. Because, you know, you had two guys that, you know, one guy that had a 15-yarder and another guy that had a 15-yarder and the team runs 30 stadiums on Monday. Everybody hates those two guys. You're talking about, you know, code red ordered in the locker room kind of stuff. <laughs> that stuff gets fixed. There can be fights in practice. And that stuff gets fixed real quick. And I did, I did this as a coach in high school. And, 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 you know, my, my, first, my first year at, at Durham Jordan, my players learned that my way of grading loafs, low effort plays, my way of grading loafs was, um, was different than they were used to because I would go through the film and I would, watch, I would watch all my guys in my segment. And if you were on the, on the other side, it's a run to the right. You're, you're the wide receiver to the far left. I see you come off the ball slowly and you don't block anybody. That's a loaf. But coach, I'm on the other side. I don't care. You get a loaf. Oh, and by the way, every loaf means the whole wide receiver segment does a 70-yard bear crawl. <laughs> you were I, had, I had one player with, tw- I think, 22 loafs the first, the first game. Oh. <laughs> every player did bear crawls for those. And he wasn't the only guy with loafs. You know how many loafs I had week two? Zip. I had two loafs. Yep. Week two. And by the way, I did the bear crawls of my players. That, that's not, guys, I can imagine that. If you guys, if you guys are doing it, then it's on me. It's on me. It's my fault. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and do them with you. But I, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to mock you all along if you're not keeping up with me, cause I'm an old man, but we're going to we're going to do bear crawls together and we're going to, we're not even getting better today in terms of, in terms of all this stuff, because some of the stuff we could be doing after practice, it would be getting us better as a group. We're not doing because we're just sitting here doing bear crawls because you all didn't want to show effort. But guess what happens if that guy fumbles or if we get a play, that guy breaks a tackle and you're not getting up there getting to the safety, that's your fault that we don't score. Or let's say that he does get to the safety and the safety forces a fumble and you're not there, we don't recover that fumble because of you. Well, they got that pretty quickly because peer pressure worked. I don't want all of my guys to be yelling at me because <laughs> – <laughs> and trying and trying try to punch me on, on, you know, after practice because I had everybody doing bear crawls. And I changed it up sometimes. It'd be, you know, five or it might be 10, 10 up downs. For, I had 10 up downs for every missed assignment for the whole group. And you do this stuff and it, it works. I believe in, in peer pressure. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's, uh, oh, oh, yeah. I mean, that's what I, you know, don't make me run. I, I remember – Back in the day, if somebody missed a free throw, they didn't run. The whole other, the rest of the guys ran. Everybody else. Oh, man. Yeah. And that's the best way to get your butt kicked in practice um, or after practice. Let me take a second and talk about Johnny T shirt, Johnny T shirt.com. We're going to get into the game plan portion. I was just checking my email as Jason was talking. I I got an email from Johnny T shirt on an early Black Friday deal. So mm-hmm. if you're listening to this on Friday, you need to go to Johnny T-shirt right now. It's 15% off, uh, additional 15% off all sale prices. Woo. Anytime they have a sale, you get a great deal. If you're a premium subscriber for Inside Carolina, you get 10% on top of that. And they're wonderful. They've got the mask. We always talk about the mask with Jason. They're becoming more and more relevant, you know, with the winter coming. So mask. But they've got the rivalry gear. They've got all Carolina, kinds of Carolina football gear 
basketball gears coming up November 25th start of basketball season just hard to believe we're almost there Johnny T-shirt Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street they are wonderful people alumni owned and operated great friends of Inside Carolina and certainly great friends of Inside Carolina premium subscribers the aforementioned 10% off your order go see them in person go see them online shop them uh, if you're listening to the Inside Carolina live show on Saturday uh, they even give uh, gifts we have giveaways gift cards and jerseys and all that stuff Johnny t-shirt just awesome folks support them they're local they need our business take another break national media or national ads and we'll come back and we'll talk Duke North Carolina game plan podcast on insidecarolina.com the best ads believe me the bestest we'll be right back bigly Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We're back with Inside Carolina Podcast. Uh, yeah, it's been an interesting week, an exhausting week here in America. But Inside Carolina is always kicking out the uh, content. Greg Barnes is with us. Jason Staples, the Game Plan Podcast. Um, it's recording on the evening, so those on YouTube know what we're talking about. Greg, let's look at North Carolina and Duke. We've talked about how it's always close. Uh, Carolina goes over to Wallace Wade at noon on Saturday. I think the 99th, 99th straight year they've played, 107 overall. Um, I mentioned before I still can't believe how that game turned out last year. How is this game uh, not different? Or, or different from last year for North Carolina, where it doesn't come down to some crazy, bizarre play that David Cutcliffe gets too cute on. What's North Carolina got to do? Let's talk about on the offensive side first to deal with Duke's uh, decent defensive line. Yeah, I think Duke has a good defense. Um, I think when you get to the offensive side, when we get there, Tommy, um, there's a good explanation for why Duke's currently, what are they, two and five? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think I think North Carolina is going to be tested. It's going to be similar to what we saw really against Virginia, and that Duke's goal is going to be to get to uh, Sam Howell as best they can, and they've got um, they've they've got some challenges there. Did you ask me to start on defense, Carolina's defense, or Duke's what, defense? No. What does Carolina have to do on offense? Okay. First? So, so I'm on I'm on track here. <laughs> You're right. That I've been tripped up on that several times it's been All a right. tough week guys it has been a tough week <laughs> we, we talked before we got online and just so everybody know we were talking about what's going on in the world it's been exhausting <laughs> and it makes it exhausting <laughs> to even talk sports but greg yes what's carolina okay. have to do on offense 
uh, to to be effective against Dukes. Like I said, decent defense. Right. I think the defense is solid, um, and I think I think really if you if you look at what what Virginia did last week, it's going to be the same approach, right? Um, it's going to be trying to get to Sam Howell before he can beat you deep, because North Carolina, um, while they knew there was going to be some issues up front, I mean, look at what they did. They had twelve passing plays uh, that went for three hundred eighty-two yards. <laughs> I mean, they had a fifty-four yarder, seventy-six yarder, thirty-six, twenty-nine, thirty, forty-seven. That was their bread and butter. But yet Virginia, being so physical up front, um, they shut down the the rushing attack. And even though North Carolina scored 41 points, it's because Sam Howell was really just phenomenal. Um, he just had a heck of a game. And, um, Tommy, you kind of know my thoughts on Sam. I, I think he's just had a phenomenal year uh, and it has made this team look a lot better than it probably is. Um, but Duke's going to try the same approach. And I think Duke probably has better, better players along the defensive line. Um, when, you, when you look at Chris Rumpf, uh, he's just an excellent player. At not even close. They've got a lot better players across yeah. the defensive line. And then Victor uh, – Demukeji, I believe is how you pronounce his name, yeah, at the other end. Um, but they got 26 sacks, which is uh, substantial. And so they're going to apply pressure. Uh, but like Virginia, their weakness is in the secondary. So it's really going to be up to the offensive line uh, to really buy Sam Howell time. And you, you want to make sure that run game is operational. You don't have to have those guys have huge games but you have to have some success. And Virginia did a, a really good job limiting yards after uh, carry, yards after contact. And um, that's, that's an issue. You, Javante Williams had, had some strong plays early, but then Virginia really did a good job kind of flowing to the ball and shut that down. So Carolina needs to be able to run the ball better this week. Um, but just buy Sam Howell some time, and they've got the skill set. Uh, that Duke can't handle down the field. And I think that's the, the key component. Again, North Carolina can capitalize on some of those deep shots. That's going to put Duke in a, a difficult situation. Jason, sticking with Carolina's offense, I mean, you talked about the dancing bear earlier in this podcast and on your video at InsideCarolina.com. I was looking at Duke's roster. I mean, they're loaded with uh, seniors on the defensive line or upperclassmen on the defensive line. It sort of goes, gets significantly younger beyond that. Um, you know, pretty similar to Virginia. Carolina took advantage. Uh, I mean, when Greg's talking about Sam Howe's performance against Virginia and all the chunk plays, I, it's still mind-blowing that Carolina lost that game. But anyway, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't see much difference going on in this game as far as Carolina's offense. But how, does, how do they protect Sam Howe with that Duke defensive line? What does Duke maybe do to try to get um, – to take advantage of Carolina's offensive line maybe, or, or at least make Sam Howell uncomfortable? So there's a couple things. Uh, number one is if you're going to try to protect Howell on this, it goes back to run, run what you do offensively, the, the default stuff. Because it, it, so we've heard Mac Brown, we've heard Phil Longo talk about how this offensive line is like its weakest areas just when they have to, pass, when they have to just do drop back pass protection. And what they haven't talked about is why that is. And it's not because the personnel can't do it. It's not because they, you know, the, the players are, are not as good there. It's because this offense is not designed to do that a lot. So this is not, so this is where this offense is a little different from like a Mike, they're, they're running air raid stuff, but it's not like Mike Leach air raid stuff, right? This is, this is more Lincoln Riley air raid stuff. And so they're running a lot of the same pass concepts that you see in the air raid. 
but because they're doing so much RPO stuff, so run pass option stuff where it's a handoff or a throw, uh, you know, and I gave an example of that actually in, in the, uh, in the, one of the videos that I broke down for this week. So Chaffrey Brown's long touchdown is that was a, that was a run play call, but it's a run play call with the, with the pass option tagged onto it. They do so much of that, that that's what you get good at. That's what you emphasize. You get good at what you rep. And the bread and butter in this offense is run plays with pass, pass plays tagged onto them. And then on top of that, you have your specific pass, uh, pass options that are play action passes, you know, some basic action passes that you're adding onto that. That's an, an additional thing. So that, and that's where you're letting how play action drop back and take, and take a shot. Those are the plays that you rep the most because that's what you're most wanting to emphasize in this offense. The place where you're not getting as many reps is just basic drop back where Howell takes the snap. There's no play action. There's no threat of a run. There's no nothing. And now you guys just have to set pass set and pass block. Now in a Mike Leach offense, they rep that 80%, 85% of practice. That's what they work on. Is that pass pro? Because that's what they're going to be doing 80% of the time. And then they don't get as good at the run blocking. If you look at what Mike Leach offenses have done historically, they're not great at run blocking because they put all that time into the, into the pass blocking stuff. So this is sort of a, a byproduct of just what they do offensively. And, you know, you've got a little bit younger guys who haven't had as many reps also in terms of, of the pass protection stuff. So that just means they're not as good in pass protection when they need to, to be in drop back, which is going to be your long leverage place. You're going to run your drop back passing game usually when you're in third and nine, when you're in third and 12, when you're in second and 15, because then those things are not as big of an issue. So the, the biggest thing that Carolina wants to do to, to give themselves a good shot against, against or, uh, protecting Howell from this, this pass rush is stay ahead of the chains. If you're throwing on first down, if you're throwing RPOs, if you're throwing on second and four, if you're, if you're throwing on third and two, then that pass rush isn't going to have the chance to pin their ears back and come, come at you in a pass blocking situation. Now, what does Duke need to do? You asked also, what does Duke want to do to be able to get the most pressure? They got to win first down. They got to be able to get Carolina in second and eight, second and nine, you know, second and 14, third and 12, that stuff, then that tilts the balance to the, to the pass rush. Cause now you don't have to honor the run as much. You don't have to play your rush, your, your, your gaps as soundly. You can just get up field and try to get after the quarterback and that's hard on the line. So it really boils down to can Carolina win first and second down so that they're ahead of the, ahead of the chains. And I, I, my guess is that that's going to be where Duke has some trouble in this game because that's where Javante Williams and Michael Carter come in. And that's where the offensive line for Carolina is at their best. And that's what Carolina is going to try to do is, is to stay ahead of the chains and throw, throw when you want to throw, not when they want you to throw. And that's when you can dictate to the defense. And that's hard on a defense because you can't rush the way that you can otherwise. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, throw when you want to rather than when they want you to. Greg Javante and Michael Carter did struggle against Virginia Tech. Oh, excuse me, against Virginia. Lord. No, they uh, did not. They did not struggle. Come on now. 
Come on, man. Seven anyway, yards, seven yards a carry for Michael Carter. He was what, 7.4, whatever it was, yards a carry. So uh, let me rephrase my question. Jason's always, Jason's about correcting people tonight. Javante and Michael Carter had their lowest output of the season against Virginia. Yeah, it's because they decided that they could throw for 500 yards. Instead. Oh, okay. So d- why might that be different against Duke? Because, I mean, Duke's going to try to pressure with the defensive line and they can make plays with the defensive line. Does Phil Longo – let's do it this way, Jason. Does Phil Longo abandon the run like he did against Virginia? Greg. Well, it depends if he gets down by 21 points. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a big part of it, right? I mean, when, you're, when it's 41-20 in the third quarter, uh, you're forced a little bit. But also, you, Virginia made a point uh, – to try to limit the run as best they could. And we knew that they were a very good tackling team, and we saw that. Um, and I think North Carolina had some success, obviously, uh, throwing the ball. And so, um, you know, I, I do think – I agree with Jason. I mean, I mean, Carter uh, had, had some success, but he had that one big run. And I know you can't remove one big run, and that kind of changes the dynamic quite a bit. For it's my not purposes. statistically fair. Yeah, but um, for my purposes, you can remove the one big run. Excuses stats. But that 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 changes things quite dramatically in terms of what he did. After that, he was eight for twenty four yards, um, which is you know it's okay. But again, like I said, you can't can't really remove the 30, 38 yard. Were they as explosive as they've been? No. Um, and you got to credit Virginia for that. Uh, but I think Jason's exactly right. I mean, uh, as Mac Brown has said, one of the reasons that North Carolina has struggled. Um, with sacks and those kind of things is because they're, they're putting themselves in too many obvious passing downs. And when good teams have good athletes on the defensive line know that you're going to pass the ball, it makes it a lot easier for them. Um, and so North Carolina has to be able to do a little bit better job early. Um, and you, I do think it's interesting. You go back to the Florida State game, and they really thought they could just wear down the Seminoles. And I don't know that the game plan was that bad, right? They kind of did. Yeah, it, it, right. <laughs> it just didn't pay they off just, because they've dug a big hole. Uh, yeah, and that, that pick six and the block punt changed the game. And absolutely. all of a sudden, you now you're down, you know, 24 points and wearing them down, you came up three, three points short just because of that. But right. wasn't the, uh, we're not going to rehash that one, but wasn't the block punt at the first of the game? Don't you yeah. adjust – Right after that happened? No, no, not, not with that because it's only one score. <laughs> the, the place where you have to adjust is after that pick six because that changed, that changed everything. It, right. this is, I think this is where you get into the, the challenge of the take what the defense gives you. And part of the issue there for North Carolina is that you've got an unbelievable quarterback, right? And you've got two really good running backs. Um, and so I, we like to refer to it as uh, overthinking things, right? But I think, I think Longo does have a challenge in trying to figure out exactly what he wants to do. And all these teams that play North Carolina, all they want to do is get, get UNC behind the chains and try to get off the field. That's what defense has really become. Um, and so that, that is the challenge for Longo is making sure he can utilize that run because we know that he can, uh, but also be able to take shots down the field because that's how you're going to be able to get a comfortable lead that, that Duke won't be able to get back from. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point to a stat that's interesting here to think about in this game. 50-plus yard pass plays given up on the season. Yep. You know the, the worst team in the ACC against uh, FBS competition? 
I would hope Duke for our it's, our purposes. It's Duke. They've given up fifty or they've given up five fifty yard, fifty plus yard pass plays. The next next worst is Virginia with three, and also North Carolina with three. And that, by the way, who did two of those come against for Virginia? And then forty plus yard pass plays given up. Duke's given up six of those. And you go to 30, yard, 30 plus yards, and they've given up 13 of those. So they're in, the bottom, they're in the bottom half of the conference for those as well. So they've given up a lot of long plays in the passing game. And they haven't even really played teams that can throw the ball all that well. I mean, you look at, the, at, their, at their schedule and you say, okay, um, Notre Dame, no deep threats. Boston College, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Syracuse, NC State, and Charlotte. And against that group? They've given up the most 50-plus yard pass plays in the conference. Well, if you're Phil Longo, do you, uh, do you decide maybe you want to test them deep a little bit and maybe, uh, maybe you think you can get some, some uh, long plays in the passing game? I'm, I'm thinking you do. So come out, tossing it deep early, and then let Javante and Michael Carter get there. That'd be what I'd do. Eat later. So let's flip it. Greg, well, no, I'll stay with you, Jason. Let's flip it. Carolina's defense. This is where, you know, we predict these games and we'll get to our predictions. And this is why I've gotten a little gun shy predicting North Carolina games is Carolina's defense. We can talk about how bad Duke's offense may or may not be. I'll let you guys talk about that. But I don't know if it matters against North Carolina's defense at this point. What's Jay Bateman got to do to prevent this from being a 44-41 game? Stay out of bad leverage. If, he, if they can win first down some, can you get it? If I'm Jay Bateman, I'm playing, it very, I'm playing it pretty simple. How can I produce a negative play? Can I find a way to get a negative play or no gain on first or second down? And if I can't do that, then I'm trying to survive until I get a new, a new set of downs. And then again, I'm rolling the dice on first or second down to try to get a no gain or negative play. And the reason I'm doing that is because Duke has turned the ball over a ton this year. And that, that is why, by the way, Duke has the record that they do. It's not because they've been bad in other respects. Duke this year, their, their turnover margin is minus 10. And to take that a step further, they are worst nationally in turnovers lost with 23. The next closest team has 19. So they're four worse than the number 113th team in the country. And the next closest is, is Georgia Tech, by the way. Um, right, Georgia Tech and Mississippi State. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they, that, that's, that's a lot of turnovers, guys. That's, that's three-plus turnovers per game. So if they've shown that propensity, and by the way, those, what's, what's been really frustrating for the, for the quarterback there is that a lot of those have not been on the quarterback, even though they've gone to his account. There have been a number of them that have just gone straight off a receiver's hands or you know, some, just all sorts of different stuff that's happened that have led to 23 turnovers. But they've turned the ball over a bunch. So if I'm Jay Bateman, first of all, I want to play a lot of coverages that have ideally have have a guy that you know is going to be in position for ricochets i don't want to play a ton of man coverage where my guys have their ball their back to the ball against this team because of the tendency to turn the ball over i want to i want to i want to play some match zone 
against this team to see if I, I can have guys in position to get, get hands on the ball or to be in position for an overthrow, that sort of thing, or for a ricochet because of, because of the way they've turned it over. And I just want to get them into leverage situations where they're more likely to turn it over. That's how I'm playing this game if I'm Bateman. I'm willing to roll the dice a little bit against this team just to get them in positions where they're likely to turn it over and where they're, they're going to have some trouble being consistent. So that's sell out against the run on first down. It went, win there, and all of a sudden things change. Greg, I mean, I thought C.J. Bryce looked good against Notre Dame, but he has been brutal since. I mean, I'm looking at his stats, 55%, seven touchdowns, 11 interceptions to Jason's point. It's a lot of interceptions. Uh, Bateman's approach, uh, I mean – Shout out to Jacob Monk, who plays offensive line for Duke. He's a local kid um, who started from day one there. But Duke's got a running back that's done pretty good. Jackson's, you know, averaging 78 yards a game. Bateman's approach. I mean, if, if Bateman can't get his defense to stop Duke's run, it makes a lot of things a lot easier for Duke because Bryce will throw it to the other team quite often. Right, and kind of to Jason's point, I mean, the idea is to put them in obvious passing downs, uh, and that's going to put you in a situation where you're better prepared to make some plays and, and get some interceptions. Um, you know, I will say, because of the number of, of sacks that, that Duke has allowed, it's kind of covered up um, Bryce's ability to run the ball. He's not a running quarterback. This is not Brendan Armstrong by any stretch. Uh, but you take the sacks out of the equation, he's averaging six and a half yards per carry. Um, he doesn't run a whole lot. I think he's, when you take out the sacks, it's only about 35. So we're only talking about five carries per game uh, and scrambles and design runs. Um, but he's a, he's a decent athlete. And so that, that's a, an area when you, when you factor it in, as you mentioned, with, uh, with Jackson, uh, as well as uh, Durant. I mean, those, those are guys that can run the ball. And if they have success, uh, well, th that's how you stay in the game, right? Because you, you, you pass when you want to pass, not when you have to pass. I think that's part of the issue for Bryce. What I'm interested in is, is Mac Brown has made a really big deal about having to stop the run. And North Carolina has not done that successfully. Uh, I'd like to hear Jason's opinion on this, but I, th I think the fact that, that you are relying so much on uh, a nickel package um, with two quasi you know, hybrids uh, on the field along the, off the defensive line and Tyrone Hopper and uh, Tamon Fox, um, you know, there's some thought that maybe you don't have enough beef up there and you got to bring more guys up. Um, when they're hitting their gaps, it works. Uh, when they're not hitting their gaps, it can kind of get ugly. And that's what Duke wants to do. They, they want to stay ahead of the chains. They want to prevent those turnovers. And that's, that's how they keep this game close. And what North Carolina has to do is be able to be successful on first and second down to give yourself a chance, you know, where Duke has obvious passing downs where you can try to you get some sacks and force some turnovers. Jason, I'll let you follow there. Stopping the run for Duke. No, I agree with, I agree with that. And, and I think the, the difficulty for Bateman is that you've got to have the personnel to put bigger personnel on the field. And, and right. right now, they're trying to scheme around some personnel limitations up front. And the reason that they're going with both Hopper and, and Tamon Fox on the edge is, okay, so who on the roster are you going to put out there to be the big end? Right now, you don't, you don't really have a guy that you look at and like, okay, that's a guy that can really be my big end. You know, maybe, maybe you know, Murphy is starting to grow. He's starting to show that he might have the ability to be that, be a third guy there that you can put out there 
in that kind of situation. And he's got, you know, some nice fluidity about him, but then if they do decide to run wide and he's responsible for the wide gap, you're, you're a little more limited. So, you know, th- this is the thing is that right now they're just, they just don't have a clear answer in terms of what they can do to get more beef on the field without getting worse. And I think a lot of people will say, why don't you put Jaleel Taylor out there? So you have three defensive linemen, but again, to Jason's point there, if you know it's going to be a run play and it's going to be an inside zone, well, yeah, of course you'll do that. Uh, but if it's not, then you're saying, okay, do I want Jaleel Taylor out there or do I want a guy like Tyrone Hopper who may not be as physical at the point of attack, uh, but he can chase people down and he can drop into coverage and do a lot more things than what Taylor can do. And that's really the, the challenge for Bateman right now. Yeah, and honestly, watching the, watching the tape a little more closely – Taylor's been pushed around a little bit at times this year as well. So, you know, just getting the bigger guy out there doesn't necessarily mean he's going to hold up better in that situation either. I mean, Hopper's actually played pretty well at different points. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and he's won with quickness in certain cases where he's actually been in the gap. He's won with quickness. He's bounced guys. He's been, and other times he's, he's won with some leverage and some strength. So the thing is you have to calculate like, okay, is it just because this guy's heavier that they're going to have a harder time? Not necessarily because sometimes that guy gets pushed around, even if he's bigger. So, and, and you got to remember, I mean, these guys are sophomores, right? I mean, yep. Tamari Fox is a sophomore, right? You, you've got, uh, you've got Jaleel Taylor. It, it, he's, these are young guys and these are not, Clemson's five-star, you know, number one overall recruit in the country, number seven overall recruit in the country, freshmen or sophomores. These are guys that came in as three-star sophomores that it just, it's going to take time to get them ready not to get pushed around against grown men. And so that's the, again, that's the hard part is, and some of this is, you know, you get a guy like Hopper who's a little bit older. He's a year older. I think he might be actually two years older if I think about it in terms of calendar years. And that, and, and that in itself matters. So, I mean, I, I know Bateman is kind of chomping at the bit to get some of the younger guys more time and get them on the field because some of those young guys have the ability to, you know, just physically they came in more ready. But they've got to be ready in every respect to be able to do that. And, and they've got to be where every, you know, every coach on the defense and, and the head coach has to trust them. But he's, you know, he knows that, look, we've got guys that are, that are waiting that can be upgrades physically in some of these positions and can actually give me a little more flexibility. But they just, they're not quite ready. But again, I think every week that goes by, you're going to see a, a few more reps from a guy like Murphy, maybe see a couple, more, a couple reps from Pinder. You're going to see increased reps from a guy like Evans. And all of these guys are going to get more time. But it's just, it's, it's, it's a matter of, of coaching around those issues right now. Yeah, somebody tweeted at me after the Virginia game, why can't Bateman play his young guys? Clemson seems to play their young guys, and they do well. <laughs> yeah, of course. And I just kind of left that. Uh, their young guys would, their young guys would <laughs> be the, be the best players on North Carolina's defense. I mean, Brzee would be the best player on North Carolina's defense probably this year, minus maybe Surratt, and that'd be close. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's why I kind of left that one alone. <laughs> Not quite at that level, folks. Uh, let's go to predictions. Carolina and Duke Saturday, twelve noon. Uh, I mean, Carolina's 
Duke and Carolina, I think this is a big game for the fan base, at least the old school fan base. Greg, I'll let you go first. I mean, after last week, this is a game that Mac Brown needs to put his imprint on in a good way. Um, tell us how it shakes up. Yeah, North Carolina bounced back pretty good from their first loss against Florida State against State. Now, granted, State didn't have a starting quarterback and their offense was a bit of a mess. Uh, but I think this is a game where a lot of stuff has to break right for Duke. And if it does, it can be a competitive game. Um, but given what Duke has done offensively, especially with the turnovers, uh, I think Sam Howe, as well as he's playing, they're not going to be able to slow him down completely. And I think a couple turnovers in UNC's favor will, will give this UNC handily. So I've got the Tar Heels winning this one 35-17. Jason, what you think? Good pick, channeling my inner Corso. Uh, I, 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 I'm just going to echo pretty much everything he said. I mean, there's, it's, a, it's a matter of whether Duke – Duke has to do a lot of things to really get this game to break right for them and things that they haven't done a bunch of this year so far. Uh, particularly, they've got to not put the ball on the ground or throw interceptions. And, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see how that goes. I do think this will be a little tighter – uh, I'm going to go, I, I think Carolina is going to, I think Carolina is going to add to that long scrimmage play uh, total overall. Uh, and I think you're going to see Carolina go over 40 again. So I'm going to go with Carolina 45, uh, Duke 34. That's fair. What's the line, Greg, right now? It's 11. Oh, so yeah. right on the line. <laughs> I'm sure that was a coincidence. I, I, I think I think Carolina scores a lot of points. Look, like I said earlier in the podcast, the last couple of weeks have kind of uh, – or, or not the NC State game, but every other game, it, it's kind of made me gun-shy to predict any major blowout. So I'm going to go Carolina 47, Duke 35. I just think, you know, until Bateman's defense can stop an average offense – um, I think it'll be a similar shootout, but I think Duke will put, turn it over. If Duke does not have any turnovers, and oh, like we talked, close game. Yeah, then then this is going to be one of those forty-one forty games in Wallace Wade, and especially it, since Duke's really good on special teams too, and that's been uh -oh. an Achilles heel for Carolina, and that's yep. a, that that's a phase of the game where you know I keep my eye on that. You know, if Carolina. Carolina is able to hold it even on special teams, then then that really helps them. But Duke's been a lot better on that on that side of the ball. Yeah, that if there's one place, and it's probably my fault that we've been neglectful on these podcasts is special teams, and it has absolutely killed Carolina. How many times did UNC uh, punt last week, Tommy? None. Zippo. Yeah. But still managed to lose special teams. <laughs> Yeah. You have to work real hard to never punt and lose the special teams battle. Carolina did that and losing to Virginia. We'll see how it goes on Saturday. It's been the Game Plan Podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, Greg Barnes, and Jason Staples have joined me. It's always fun, boys. Enjoy your election week. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. 
Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.